Wow. It was really good this morning to walk in here because um, it was a little bit cold, actually. I had almost like, woof, almost had to put a jumper on. Who'd have thought you'd walk into the vineyard in the middle of summer and have to put a jumper on? Fair income. Hey, what a new phase of life we're in. Hey, wonderful to see you this morning. And um, it's a real treat to be able to continue this series that we've been digging into on the person of the Holy Spirit. And uh, we're going to, um, this morning, pick up on a little bit of the third part of 1 Corinthians 14, 1, where Paul says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. And we've asked that question over the last few weeks, that, that to be someone that is in pursuit of the things of the Spirit, the works of the Spirit, the, the life of the Spirit, it, it flows from love. It's, it's about allowing the love of God to lead our lives to where God needs us. And as a result of that, in that moment, we see the Spirit's resource, grace and gifts manifesting in the context. And the, the, the third little bit that's in that sentence, actually, of 1 Corinthians 14, 1, that we haven't tapped on, but we're going to tap on it this morning, is at the end of that, Paul says, follow the way of love, eagerly pursue the gifts of the Spirit, especially, this is the third bit, especially prophecy. So Paul takes a moment and actually clearly lifts one of these graces, one of these dancing realities of the presence of God on people's lives, and he says, this one, this one, get after this one. Let love build in you a pursuit of the reality of the Spirit, especially this one. And we're going to unpack that a little bit this morning. We're also going to demystify some of that. We're also going to take a whole bunch of baggage off of that. And we're going to try and just get a sense of a sincere snapshot of really what's God on about when he inspires Paul by the Spirit to say, get after this gifting of the Spirit. Pursue this one in particular. Why that one? So, uh, but before we get there, if we can jump onto the next slide. Thanks, uh, thanks, Jake. Hey, Jake, just stepped in there last minute today. Good on you, mate. We appreciate you and making yourself available to help all of us know what we're singing and being able to follow the words. Thanks, Jake. We appreciate you, mate. Hey, um, yeah, give him a round. Now, also, just quickly to mention, Kate who was um, going to be bringing a financial update, not well today. So just continue to pray for Kate. She said, I'll line up next week. So if you want to get an idea on how the financial health of the life of PRV is, next Sunday, or maybe not next Sunday because it's kids stuff. But anyway, we'll work it out in the next week or two (laughs) so you can have a good look at the the cash flow and the financial health and life of this place. But one of the things I wanted to just quickly draw our attention to as we – dive into this conversation of what was Paul after when he said, especially prophecy, I want to remind you where, what you're sitting in. You might think you're sitting in a black chair. You might think you're sitting in a black chair in a big shed. You might think you're sitting in a black chair in a big shed uh, with lots of burnouts on the road outside <laughs> in the back of an industrial state. That's where you think you might be. But I want to let you know while that might be the obvious reality that you're sitting in, 
you're actually sitting in a move of God. You're actually sitting in a move of the Holy Spirit. That's what you're sitting in right now. This, this container, this vehicle, this, this building. This, this, this has happened because of a move of God. Not because some kind of, I mean, we, we stewarded that move of God and I believe we've stewarded it really well with a wonderful team and a great board and people who've got a real sense of um, financial integrity and character about how we pursue. And ultimately, it's about the generosity of people saying, yes, Jesus, with their resources. And I want to just draw your attention to that because it was um, 31st of January uh, 2008 that um, Pine R- the big name on the paperwork is Pine Rivers Vineyard Incorporated took ownership of this property. Now at the time you'll see there there's a little story in the background there and when God when a God dream invades your life you risk and you risk which is spelt F-A-I-T-H living into that dream and it becomes true it means new territory, a new way of life to be won, contested and walked in, become a new reality. In 2008, after a literal dream about a HR Holden car, so if, if many of you may not have been here at that time, but for the few that were, right about in the centre section, just behind kind of Grace there, in that centre section there, we found an old HR Holden car and we drove it in here and we parked it in the middle of the building for a season. So every time we gathered, it was like we'd kick the wheels on this thing. We'd lean against it. It was, it'd drop its oil on the floor. It was just a run-down old HR car. But it was a spitting image car of this dream. One night I had this dream. And in this dream, literally in this dream, I find myself shopping for a car. And of all the cars that I go shopping for and find at, at the uh, car yard, my attention is drawn to this old HR Holden car. And as I lean, lean towards this car in this dream, all of a sudden, um, I notice inside the car, it was, there was all these different bits of sound equipment, like it was an old stereo system, but the stereo system didn't match the speaker in the front left-hand door, which was a different brand to the one that was in the front right-hand door. And there was even some of these big like, speakers like these ones on the stage jammed up in the back window. It was just a whole mix of bits. But I tell you, I just knew that when the music was played in that old HR, man, it played and it played awesome music. It was like the bits didn't matter, but they made a great sound. And on my, the other part of that dream was I, my attention was drawn as I was looking in through the driver's side. I looked, at the, I looked at the accelerator pedal and I thought, this old thing's made to move. It's got some grunt under the bonnet, this old Holden car. Well, anyway, in the dream, I reached into my pocket and I found I had money to buy the car. Where the money came from, I have no idea how it got in my pocket. I have no idea. I just knew I had, oh, look, I've got the money. I'm going to buy the car. And as I bought the car, the dream ended. And it was such a vivid dream. It brought me out of my sleep. I awoke up and I straight away went, Nick, Nick. You know when you've had a few of those dreams where you know that you know 
This is more than just kind of my mind defragging in the middle of the night. But there was something God about it. Well, I have this dream. I knock Nick. Hey, Nick, Nick, Nick. And I told her and she was like, oh, that's great. <laughs> Make some notes. And, and so I did that. And then the next day, the next, the very next day, the owner of this building rang me to say, Kirk, I want to sell the building and I want to give you and your church the first opportunity to purchase this building. And I just knew what he was saying and the dream was like, this is a God is doing something moment. It was like the Spirit was inviting us into a journey. Well, in that journey, um, we were invited to purchase the building and it was a $1.2 million price tag. And guess how much we had saved in the bank to be able to buy a building? (laughs) Nothing. Because at the time, we were literally just week to week, you know, two or three dollars in the bank account at the end of every week as a local church. And we're just thumping along in the faithfulness of God week about. Well, then began the journey as a local church. And this, what we're sitting in today is as a result of a people saying, yes, Lord. And even with, I forget what the, the details were, but we were only like a week, week or so out from the, the actual um, contract date to be settled, and we were still like $95,000 short. We had to raise $275,000, $275,000. Well, there's a million different stories of people saying yes to Jesus that led to this community of Jesus presenting $275,000 on the table to be able to get the deposit to buy the building. In the background of all of that, there was all these stuff going on of great stories of people following Jesus. You're sitting in the generosity of God through Jesus' people. That's what you're sitting in. You're sitting in a story that God is writing for for, for his greater glory in this place and in our community. And I wanted to remind you of that because I feel like we're meant to just stir and stoke up some of those giftings in us, those supernatural invitations from God to follow him and the way of his love into spaces that on the surface we think are impossible or don't make sense. And yet it's God calling us on. And we're going to unpack that a little bit more. Can I jump on to the next slide? Thanks, Jacob. Um, The church exists for the sake of those who are exiled from God. We're called to bring the gospel of the kingdom to every nook and cranny of creation, faithfully translating the message of Jesus into languages and forms that are relevant to diverse peoples and cultures. And the next slide. Thanks, Jake. Now, again, remembering where we here at the Vineyard, we are on about building prophetic community. Not prophetic superstars, not prophet celebrities. Now, I'm not saying people can't, and I touched on this last week, people can grow in the grace that's on their life. 
where they will grow in terms of their realms of influence, but never is it their identity. Their identity is that they are the body of Christ, who functionality out of relationship with Jesus and his people walk in this gifted way for the sake of the church and the world. And we're on about building a prophetic community. Now that means we need to unpack a lot of what we perhaps have either inherited or been offended by or um, learned along the way that has actually prevented each and every one of us from entering into the invitation of Paul, which is pursue this gift. He didn't, didn't say that to some. He said it to the body. And so everyone can begin to learn and grow in this grace. But let's, just a couple more slides here. The next one, thanks, Jake. Um, here's one from Wimber. Let's just set the context right. The gifts of the Spirit, they're not trophies, talents, traits, or toys. The gifts of the Spirit are God's supernatural expression of love, caring, kindness, and concern bestowed on us and through us. And the next one, thanks, mate. Next one, thanks, Jake. Dunn says this. He says, now this is in particular in regards to this gift of prophecy. I think it's a good little um, snapshot of what we're going to enter into here. Prophecy is declaring the heart throb of God to his church for the purposes of edification. It's not a skill. It's not an aptitude or a talent. It is the actual speaking forth of words that are given by the Holy Spirit in a particular situation and ceases when the word ceases. Get a hold of that heart throb of God. Hang on to those words. The rest is mechanics. That bit's the relational invitation that flows out of our life with Jesus and our life with the Father. So... Many of us, actually, we'll go to the next slide as well. Thanks, Jacob. Jake, um, 1 Corinthians 14, 1, we've read this. Follow the way of love, eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. And the other key verse I want to pick up on today is 1 Thessalonians 5, that's meant to be 19 to 22. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test all of them. Hold on to what is good and, receive, uh, and reject every kind of evil. I'm sure if you've hung around the charismatic Pentecostal circles long enough, or even in some Bapticostal circles, you have probably at some point had someone come to you and say, I feel like God's given me a word for you, or I feel like God wants you to know, um, or I feel like God gave me a picture and, for you, and this is that. At some point, you will have had that. Well, the night that I gave my life to Jesus... And what I want to touch on now is what do, what do we do with those words? What do we do with what has been spoken to us? The night I gave my life to Jesus, received his forgiveness, thanked him for reconciling me to the Father's love, I entered into his kingdom. I came out from under the kingdom of darkness and I came into the kingdom of light. I came into God's good rule and reign. And I can clearly remember in that moment, on that night, in the back room of a little church 
just down the road from here with a group of people as my life was being completely turned inside out by this love of God. I can remember one person standing near me and they said to me these words. They said, hey, Kirk, you will speak with kings, princes and leaders of nations. Now, what do you do with that? (laughs) What do you do with that? So how could you even begin to make something like that happen? Well, you can't. You simply can't. What do you do? Is it true? Is this God? When will that happen? I'm not sure if the person who uttered those words knew that they were actually prophesying, but most certainly it had a very long, immediate and long-term impact on my life. The stuff that you know is from God and that you hold in the secret place with God, waiting for God to bring it to pass, not forcing it, not strong-arming it, not trying to posture yourself to make something happen, but simply allowing God to do it. So I tucked it away in my heart. Prophecy is a very powerful spiritual gift and a work of the Spirit for edifying the church, for building up the saints, for empowering her to get on with the ministry and the mission of Jesus. And I'm praying that this morning as you're listening to this, that all of those words that have been spoken into your heart over the years, all of those little words that have been uh, spoken to you by people as they've just been praying for you, where they've said, I believe God wants to do this stuff. The ones that you've held in the secret place of your heart, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would surface them in you today. I'm praying that the invitation of God today would be heard by each and every one of our hearts. Paul makes some pretty strong statements here in these two verses because it's his understanding that a healthy church, a dynamic church that's full of the Holy Spirit has a cultural way about it. And that cultural way is one of desire for the power and the presence of the Spirit. Because we know, and as Paul knows, it's not, it's, and Paul has said it in other places, he said, I do not come to you with wise and persuasive words and arguments. I'm not coming to you to tickle your intellectual capacities, even though he was a brilliant brilliant teacher. He's saying, what I'm doing here, I'm, br- I'm bringing to you, it's done in the power of the Holy Spirit. What is this power? Well, Paul says that there's a, the church, the people of Jesus are meant to be these people who are desiring of the Holy Spirit. Jake, can we go on to the next slide, mate? This word, this word desire, zelu. It's an interesting one in the Greek. It literally means to burn, to burn. Have you ever been too close to a, a um, campfire? It's like you, you can get so close to it, but then you can't get any closer because in proximity to it, it becomes too much. It becomes a little intense. And so you kind of back away from it. But Paul here is using a word that says 
if you are going to be someone that is under the life of the Spirit, you're meant to be this kind of person that likes to live close enough to the fire and allowing it to cause you to be shaped by it in pursuit of the good, to strive after, to desire to have. Have you ever wanted something so badly that you just reprioritized whatever it is that you were, you were doing at the time to be able to attain that thing that you wanted so badly? When I was 13, I wanted a tennis racket. I mobilized my whole life to wash cars at $5 a go until I could get a tennis racket. I shifted my whole Saturdays to get what I needed to get the tennis racket. This is the kind of thing Paul's saying. If you live under the Spirit, your life will be reprioritized by what the Spirit is drawing you to. And it will feel like a fiery, dynamic life experience. Have you ever pursued a relationship? Have you ever pursued a vocational work opportunity? And you've mobilized or, if you've, or you've um, pursued a, an opportunity with regards to your financial well-being? a small business opportunity, whatever it is. You've had, but you've seen it, you've been drawn to it, you've re- reprioritized your life to move towards it. This is what Paul is saying it means to go after the things of the Holy Spirit, in particular this gift, this grace called prophecy. I want this thing and I want it bad. Now, a lot of people will try and hear that and read that through their understanding of their personality. That's okay. Pay attention to that. Some of us are introverts. Some of us are extroverts. And some of us are somewhere in between. But introversion or extroversion is no disqualification or qualification as to learning how to pursue the gifts. The pursuit of the gifts is as a result of the invitation of the Spirit. So allow your introversion, allow your extroversion to be shaped by what the Holy Spirit is doing. It's invitation from God. A healthy, spiritually alive church is one where Paul teaches that love releases the fire of the Spirit's work. The church of Jesus needs this gift in this hour particularly. We're in a context and a world and a culture now where every word is measured, every pursuit is um, judged and criticised, and it's really important that this gift, this word gift, this speaking the heartthrob of God gift is given real encouragement. Our world needs it. It's not just for the church, it's on and in the church for the sake of the world to know Jesus. Remember, every nook and cranny, where will love lead you? Often we get, you know, turned off or turned away by people who are a little bit too enthusiastic or a little bit too kind of like they're too intense. You know, i I, I got to say, just... You know, I've, I've had a number of relationships over the years where people have said to me, Kirk, I just can't go the journey with you. 
I said, what do you mean? <laughs> I'm just trying to pursue God. They're like, you're too intense, mate. But what they're saying is, I don't want to let my life be transformed to the degree that you have because it means I have to choose Jesus, choose the way of the Spirit, overcome everything that I've put in front of saying yes to Jesus and then allowing that to go. It's heartbreaking when people want to move away from you because you're given to pursuing the grace of the Spirit in your life. It's not an easy space, but it is a space of great zeal. And it's a, with that zeal comes a lot of misunderstanding. And I want to ask and invite each of us today to please surrender the judgments that you've placed on anybody in any part of the body of Jesus for being a little enthusiastic about pursuing the Spirit and what it looks like. If it's offended your sensibilities, just let it go. If it's offended you, let it go. Don't live in the offence. Listen and learn. Seek to grow. Paul, also on that slide up there in the, th- in the message to the Thessalonian church, Paul says, um, don't put out the fire of the Spirit and don't treat prophecies with contempt. And we often go, well, of course, I'd never treat it with contempt. Of course I would never treat anything that God would say with contempt. Have you ever had like a shiny new toy that you've played with for a while, whatever it is, over the years? And then after a while, it just kind of becomes a little everyday. It becomes a bit kind of like, eh, it's not so shiny and new anymore. Ah, it just sits on the shelf now. Ah, actually gathers dust. Uh, oh gosh, I forgot I even had that. You know that journey of thing with things that over the years? That's what Paul's talking about when he's saying having contempt. He's saying that actually contempt is, an, is a choosing to take the unique specialness and beauty of this gifting that God's given your life and just allowing it to become dusty and old and at the back of the cupboard. He says that's the nature of contempt. What are the gifts that the Holy Spirit's landed in our life over the years? Where the shine's gone off because we've just, it's too hard, it's too difficult, it's too awkward, too intense. And we've just kind of let it go. Paul calls on the church. He says, hey, church, that's, that's like taking the, the heart throb of God and just saying, eh, whatever. Whatever. That's how churches die. That's how individuals die in their faith. We take these most precious things of God and they become like, you know, little kids with toys who play with them on the driveway because it's Christmas Day. But come Easter, the toy is lost. Oh, no, there it is, buried in the dirt under the driveway. It's like that's just forgotten. God, through Paul, 
is saying, hey, church, don't treat this most wonderful gift of God, this gracious work of God, like that. As if it's nothing. Now, there's sometimes reasons why we do that. Sometimes it's a bad experience. Perhaps we've felt manipulated by those who have been like wielding prophetic activity as a badge and a position rather than the heartthrob of God. Maybe we've struggled to receive this message because we didn't like the vessel that it came through. Have you ever had someone come and share like they felt like it was from God for you, but you, you're like, I can't get past the fact that it's you that's bringing it to me, therefore... Maybe it was that, maybe we ourselves misunderstood and we got it wrong and in our hearing we've laid over the top of it all this other expectation and ended up bitter towards God and therefore it didn't happen and so we've just let it slide. We've seen people grandstand, we've seen people make it about personality and fame and we've never actually seen it activated in a healthy kingdom way. Maybe there's some of the things that we've got to push through and walk through and walk out from. And today I want to invite you to begin to do that. Now this morning I've asked two people to come and share with us their story of when they met the person of the Holy Spirit for the first time. And these have been great little testimonies that people have been bringing over the last few weeks. First one, Abby, come on up here, Abby. Abby's going to come and share with us. Why don't you welcome Abby? I meant to do that, okay? Um, When I first met the Holy Spirit, uh, I was about 21 um, and I was a junkie. I don't know how many people know, got any friends that are junkies around here? Any guys know drug addicts? Invite them into your home. Ron, thank you. (laughs) Um, Someone once said to me, but Abby, you would have been a nice junkie, you know? I would have been nice to people, but I wasn't. I was the sort of person that would have stolen from your wallet while you ducked to the toilet. Um, gosh, nervous. I know, Anna. <laughs> it's true. I would have stolen anything from you. I would have taken your credit card, emptied your bank account, stolen the change out of your car when you'd forgot to lock it on the weekend, just stolen your clothes off the <laughs> clothesline or your sleep at night. Um, I ripped people off. Lord, Um, I just did, you know, I was in a really, really dark place and I served that God of drugs very well (laughs) until I came to the stage where I was in a really, really dark place. I would have done anything to get drugs and that was the only time I was happy until I came down again. I started to think about ending my life. I was sick and tired of addiction and the, the low, dark places that were now my normal. At around the same time, an old friend, an ex-druggie, started visiting me and sharing how he knew Jesus and how it had changed his life. We started visiting different churches. Nothing really changed me for a while until one night, partway through a sermon, a, a, a little bit of a conservative church. I had no idea what they were talking about. I felt something as strong as a smack in my face. It didn't hurt, but it shocked me. It shocked me. I felt 
love, powerful, passionate, cleansing love. I started sobbing, snotting, blubbering, ugly crying in the midst of the sermon. So people are, (laughs) what's going on with who? I didn't even care about that. I asked someone at the end, how do I know I'm saved? And he said, is Jesus your Lord? And I said, yes. And that was such a life-changing moment. The next day, this was the sort of the working out of it. The next day, a drug dealer knocked on my door. Hey, Abby, you want a free gram of speed? That's like, you know, that never happens. That's a junkie's dream. I shut the door. I ran out the back door down the road as far as I could to get away as possible. I had been loved, delivered. I was free, empowered to say no to the enemy. I knew that the chains had been broken off my life. I knew that whoever the enemy was, that he was defeated and that Jesus was my Lord. Thanks, Abby. What a wonderful, wonderful account of a person's life set free by the Holy Spirit. I'm going to invite Craig to come on up. He's also going to share with us a, a bit of his story about when he first met the person of the Holy Spirit. Why don't you welcome up Craig? Uh, so I grew up in the church. I uh, went to um, uh, a Presbyterian church, and you can imagine the Holy Spirit is not a big theme in that uh, Presbyterian circles. Went to Baptist, and the Baptist church I went to, there are Bapticostals, but um, I haven't, uh, this one didn't pursue the Holy Spirit. So um, it wasn't until I was 32 um, in uh, 2006, uh, a friend of mine um, had been pursuing the journey of uh, the Holy Spirit, and he invited me along to a conference. So I said, yes, I'm hungry for more than just... uh, um, what, what I've already experienced, I want more. So I went to this conference in Brisbane, and um, and to my surprise, it, it was thirty dollars to get in, and I was surprised by that because you know Jesus says, "Freely you receive, freely give," but uh, I paid the thirty dollars. And um, there was a lady who gave me a prophecy, and she read my mail. Um, just uh, well, many things which you know. I thought, how do you know this about me? And then she said, um, and you will uh, go and spend times in green pastures, you know, by by a bubbling stream. And I thought, oh, that's lovely. Well, um, a month later, I uh, became unwell and had to be hospitalised and didn't work for the rest of the year, you know. So I got my bubbling streams and pastures, you know. Oh, great. But uh, it sent me off on a journey, a real hunger for the Word, and that hasn't left me. And uh, I just uh, I just love that. I should also say at that time, um, I went to another guy at the conference, and the guy um, said, well, let's pray for a touch of the Holy Spirit. And I shut my eyes, and I felt like he was pushing in my um, my chest with his finger, and I fell down. I thought, that's pretty cheap. You know, you just go and press. Well, my friend told me that he said, I couldn't believe it. He said he just put his hand on your shoulder, and then uh, you fell over. And I thought, oh, that's not what I felt. So uh, I knew it was the finger of God that had, had touched me. Um yeah, so I, I just want to say um, I, I uh, love hearing God's word, um, and uh, um, oh, strange, I can't open it. There it is. 
Um, and and many times I, I I feel like that burning desire, you know, that Holy Spirit in my gut, you know, this burning desire to read out God's word. So I just like to read the word food in John, because food is about desire. When we're hungry, we're hungering and thirsting for more of God. So uh, in John four verse eight, his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. That's a woman, a Samaritan, Samaritan woman, um, at the well. Uh, and Jesus said to them in verse 32, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And I thought that sums it up. It's to do God's will. Um, uh, and then in John 6 verse 27, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And then Jesus finishes in verse 55 of chapter 6 of John. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. So that, that laying down our lives to do not what we want to do, but what does God want to do through us. So, um, yeah, I just thought that was encouraging. Thanks, Craig. Thanks, Craig. Thanks, Abby. Craig, I love your story, mate, of just how the Holy Spirit met you both in a manifest physical way but also releasing in you, um, you know, just even more hunger for the way you'd been brought up in the kingdom for the Bible and you're still in, in um, pursuit of the Holy Spirit in the Word and, I, and, and I, love, I love that about your story. Friends, this morning... <clears throat> God's inviting us to let go of our scepticism, our flippancy, our religious ways, our fear and our passivity. Because all with regards to the person of the Holy Spirit and in particular this gifting where the heart throb of God wants to flow through Jesus' people for the sake of the body and the cause of the kingdom in the world. Letting go. And there may be even some of us in this room this morning that as Abby said those words where she said, and someone said to me, well, is Jesus your Lord? And she said, yes. And she said, I knew from that moment, I knew I was saved. I knew I was in relationship with God and I'd entered the kingdom. There might be some of us in the room this morning who have this underlying unease about, am I, am I saved? Am I not saved? What saves us is Jesus. He saves us. And he says, if you're hungry and thirsty, come to me and I'll give you rest. I'll bring you into the kingdom. Some of us this morning might like to know that they know that Jesus is their Lord. And we want to pray for you this morning. So let's just, in, on the back of those little stories, those testimonies, let's just wait on the Holy Spirit together for a minute. Remember the campfire. The fiery presence of the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit.
We welcome your presence today. Breathe on the embers of our heart. Breathe on the embers of our heart. Breathe on the embers of our heart. Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. Sharapati Saramandirata. Gutaramania Seta Papa. We sang it this morning, Lord. We're desperate for you. Because we see desperation in us and all around us. But we turn that desperation to you. Come, Holy Spirit. Breathe on our hearts. This gift of prophecy, being able to carry the heart throb of God. Lord, we receive that today. We receive. Let your hearts receive the heart throb of God. Let it fill you today. In your mercy and your kindness, Lord, I ask that all of the baggage that's associated with this gifting that we've carried and that we've hid behind, in your mercy, would you just cause it to come away from us now as we move towards you? All the offence, all the awkwardness, all the reservation, just we, we choose to... Let it go now, Lord, and step towards you for more. More of you, Holy Spirit. Sada patiana namapapayai.